The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. This is not a substitute for professional medical care and is not intended for use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy should not be construed as an ASCO endorsement. Hello and welcome to the ASCO Guidelines podcast series. My name is Shannon McKernan and today I'm interviewing Dr. Valerie de Haas from Princess Maxima Center for Pediatric Oncology in the Netherlands lead author on initial diagnostic workup of acute leukemia, ASCO clinical practice guideline endorsement of the CAP and ASH guideline. Thank you for being here today, Dr. De Haas. Thank you. So first, can you give us a general overview of what this guideline covers? Well, yes. The laboratory evaluation of patients who are suspected of having acute leukemia is uh, very complex, and uh, it has evolved significantly with the incorporation of advanced laboratory techniques. The traditional backbone of initial workup of ALL, of of acute leukemia, is composed of uh, cytomorphology, cytochemistry, immunophenotyping, and uh, molecular cytogenetics. These techniques are the backbone of the initial diagnostic workup of acute leukemia. This is leading to risk stratification and fine-tuning of the therapy by molecular signatures. The advanced molecular diagnostics, such as next-generation sequencing, have become more important in the diagnosis and in the risk stratification of acute leukemia. This guideline is meant for both pediatric as adult patients, and it was initially published in 2017. This year, we reviewed this guideline, and we have taken into account two important developments. First, since 2017, We've seen that there are major advances in molecular techniques and also uh, that we can identify and validate new molecular markers. And those two events have contributed to a better risk stratification. And the second development is the fact that the WHO classification was revised in 2017, which also has led to new risk categories and refined subclassification. So what are the key recommendations of this guideline? Well, in total, we have reviewed 27 guideline statements by the ESCO endorsement expert panelists, and uh, discussion points are are used to summarize issues that were identified from the updated literature. The ESCO expert panel determined that the recommendations from the guideline, as published in 2016, are clear, thorough, and they are based upon the most relevant scientific evidences. We fully endorse the CAP-ASH guideline on initial diagnostic workup of acute leukemia, and we decided to include some discussion points according to clinical practice and according to the updated uh, literature. In fact, we identified four categories of key recommendations. The first one is the initial diagnostics, focusing on basic diagnostics and determination of risk parameters. This concerns in total about 11 guidelines recommendations, and they give an overview of the initial workup, varying from the collection of the clinical history of the patient to initial basic diagnostics by cytomorphology, flow cytometry, and molecular cytogenetic analysis of peripheral blood, bone marrow, and cerebrospinal fluid. Secondly, the second category were molecular markers and MRD detection, and they were addressed 
by 10 of the recommendations. And these recommendations give a structural overview of the molecular and cytogenetic workup of acute lymphogastric leukemia versus acute myeloid leukemia, identifying different prognostic markers. Also, the detection of MRD is taken into account in this recommendation. There is a major difference between children and adults, and this part is given most attention in the discussion parts as the developments have been major in the past few years. The third one is the context of referral to another institution with expertise in the management of acute leukemia. This is addressed by four recommendations, emphasizing the point that referral to an institution with specific expertise is of major importance for the central workup of acute leukemia. And finally, the final reporting and report keeping is reflected in three recommendations, mainly supporting conclusions from 2017, which were describing the fact that a complete report with basic diagnostics in one central report should be available within 48 to 72 hours. And this should be followed by complete, final, comprehensive report in one or two weeks. So can you tell us about those discussion points that were made and why the panel decided to include these? The discussion points included mostly issues regarding diagnostics that involve flow cytometry and molecular techniques as addressed in Part 1 and 2 of the guidelines. We think that the cytomorphologic assessment is essential for initial diagnosis of acute leukemia. Multicolor flow cytometry using 8 to 10 colors has led to a better distinction between myeloid, lymphoid, and mixed lineage blast origin, even when the number of cells is very limited, for instance in CNS involvement, fine needle aspirate of extramedullary leukemic infiltration, or skin biopsy for leukemic acutis. Also, it was suggested to better assess the central nervous system involvement by leukemia. The expert panel recommends the immunophenotyping studies as an additional detection technique next to the cytomorphological examination of cytospins. And particularly for those with a low level involvement of uh, acute leukemia that cannot be well addressed by a morphologic examination only. The TDT immunohistochemistry staining on cytospins has alternatively been used for detection of CNS disease in ALL, and evaluation of CSF by multicolor flow cytometry has been recently very uh, adopted in some centers. Flow cytometry using at least six, but we now use in some laboratories even eight to ten colors, has led to a much more specific and sensitive diagnosis, and this has improved the detection of CNS involvement. The use of molecular tools, for instance, polymerase change reaction, PCR, NGS for low-level CSF involvement is still under study, and therefore we did not recommend this in our discussion. Regarding the molecular markers and MRD detection, the discussion here was mainly based upon the results of translational research, supported by better molecular detection techniques. And those molecular diagnostics have been developing in the past few years with the inclusion of many more molecular markers. And they included one of the key diagnostic criteria in the revised WHO classification, which was revised in 2017. And we made substantial changes that have been made in the ASH GAP guidelines concerning molecular diagnostics. Those newly identified targets by advanced molecular techniques give possibilities for a better risk stratification. Some examples of better molecular characterization of acute lymphoblastic leukemia are, for instance, additional testing for MLL translocations. Furthermore, we can look in patients with TALL for NOTCH1 and FPX2 
W7 mutations. The Icarus uh, family zinc finger gene, the IKZF1 gene, is frequently deleted in adults as well as in children with BALL. And it was shown to have an independent prognostic significance and was associated with poor clinical outcome. In the current text of the current risk-adapted protocols, Icarus genes should be regularly included in the screening panels for all ALL patients. If we look for examples for better characterization of AML, acute myeloid leukemia, we have found an increasing number of additional cytogenetic aberrations, like for instance FLIT3 ITD, which is associated with poor outcome. Another example is appropriate mutational analysis for KIT, which can be detected both in adult patients as pediatric patients with a confirmed core binding factor acute myeloid leukemia. So this is myeloid leukemia with a translocation A21, uh, RUNGS1, or in vision 16. This recommendation is very strong in adults, whereas in children, this prognostic effect impact remains unclear. So there have been proven several publications we, which refer to a similar prognosis for children and others who refer to a poor prognosis in comparison to non-mutated genes. So we suggest to test for these mutation in adults especially, but also in children to learn from it. Finally, emerging evidence supports molecular studies as principal tests for monitoring mineral residual disease of acute leukemia. And there are several key molecular markers that are included in the initial workup, which will be carried on for monitoring MRD. For instance, PML, rare alpha, uh, RUNGS1, RUNGS T1, core binding factor MI11, NPM1, CBP alpha, and others. Besides those aforementioned markets, it's very important to screen for other molecular markers that have predictive or prognostic value in the individual. And it is possible to use them for MRD. We have found a recent consensus from the European Leukemia Net MRD Working Group, who is proposing that for detection of molecular MRD. And they prefer the RT-PCR platform to NGS and digital PCR platforms. Although all those molecular techniques have been developed very quickly, and it is very tempting to use them for initial diagnostics, currently not all laboratories will have all those techniques available. So the expert panel strongly advises understanding to make distinction between diagnostics that needs are needed in the first phase to start treatment and subsequently treatment certification in contrast to the use of those findings in a broader research. For instance, available karyotyping, FISH, PCR techniques, if possible NGS can be used in the initial start of treatment, whereas techniques like whole exome sequencing, whole genome sequencing, RNA sequencing, and epigenomic studies are meant for a broader research. And finally, how will these guideline recommendations affect patients? Well, in the end, the patients will receive a better and especially more personalized treatment. If we have results available within two weeks from diagnosis, it will be possible to better identify which patients will better be benefit from more intensified and more personal treatment, whereas others may need less intensive treatment with less toxicity. If you use the traditional techniques to do this, supported by molecular techniques like karyotyping, FISH, and PCR techniques, and in the end, following MRD, uh, to see which patients are responding to treatment, 
MRD detection will help to identify these patients and stratify them finally to the best treatment. Great. Thank you for your work on this important guideline, and thank you for your time today, Dr. Daha. Okay. Thanks a lot. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into the ASCO Guidelines podcast series. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please rate and review the podcast and refer the show to a colleague.